Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. So it was a robbery in Brownsburg of one of my sponsors. Tony Katz, good to be with you. Premier Arms in Brownsburg uh, is a firearm shop, but they are also a jewelry store. PA Jewelers, a jewelry store inside. I've engaged many purchases from them, and, and I will going forward. Somebody came in posing to look at rings and engaged a series of bait and switches Stealing three rings valued at over $10,000. Bryce Curry joins us right now. He is the owner of Premier Arms in Brownsburg, premierarms.com. I was watching the video because, of course, you have the security video of this happening. And I got to admit, that's a pretty good bait and switch that this guy pulled. Uh, yes, I mean, he was very good. I mean, it's something that we definitely did not um, did not see the, uh, when, it, when it happened. And it wasn't until we did an inventory and noticed... A piece had been swapped out, went back to security video, and even had to watch it a number of times till we finally caught when the uh, when the switch occurred. Uh, things like this, I mean, it it takes a pretty brazen guy, Bryce, to rob a jewelry store inside of a gun store. That's a pretty brazen thing for someone to do. As you deal with these things, you do a lot of uh, estate buying. People who are looking to, uh, you know, sell things because uh, they don't need it anymore. They're trying to make ends meet. How much more of that is happening? The idea of the making ends meet, the the economy being an issue, and therefore, in a weird way, increasing your business. Well, like you said, we do a lot of estate buying, both on the firearm side, jewelry side, coins that sort of product, uh, and we're seeing a lot more people coming in that are saying they need to sell because they need to make a car payment or they weren't getting the overtime or a waitress having to sell uh, an item of jewelry from her person because she's not making the tips she used to. So we are seeing an increase of that here in the, in the past uh, year or so where the economy is really affecting the bottom line uh, for, for average people, and they're, they're sadly needing to sell items to, to, to fill that gap. Talking to Bryce Curry of Premier Arms and PA Jewelers in Brownsburg on Green Street. Uh, have you seen in your shop uh, an increase in, in pilfering, in, in theft, in attempted thefts? Uh, you speak to other uh, business owners in Brownsburg, and this is not unique to Brownsburg at all. This is, this is happening all across the country. Are they talking to you about an increase in these kinds of thefts or, or attempts? Uh, we are seeing, sadly, uh, yes. Um, Brownsburg is kind of a nice bubble because it is a very, very safe community. We've been there over 21 years and and had really no issues. This is the first large theft that we've had. But in the past six months, we did have an incident of a, of a shoplifting um, incident that occurred that, that some, some individuals tried to take some things. So we are starting to see a little more of that. Sadly, just as you said, the economy worsens and people are getting more desperate and more brazen. In, in in the going after this guy, uh, as I know it, there is a video, right? I was able uh, to see uh, that. What what comes next? Is Brownsburg police working with you? Is is this uh, do other groups get involved? Is this something that happened in Indiana? Does anybody travel across state lines? Where are we with this? Well, I don't want to get too much into the details uh, because I don't want to jeopardize anything the Brownsburg police are working on, but they were they are amazing. That's one of the reasons I like being in Brownsburg. It's a very safe community. The police department there is, in our opinion, second to none. Detective Stanford 
at Brownsburg Police Department is actively working on this. I talked to him just a few days ago. Um, they do have uh, a couple persons of interest, but they're having problems, um, you know, narrowing it down. So that's why they put this story initially on Facebook and a couple of the media uh, stations picked up on it. Um, so they, they don't have anybody in custody, but they are, um, I think, closing in on, on this individual. Talking to you, Bryce Curry, the owner of Premier Arms and PA Jewelers in Brownsburg, PremierArms.com, a sponsor of this very show. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm in there. Uh, we, we do work together. We do fundraisers together. I, 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 I do way uh, too much shopping. Um, what changes? Like when, when something like this happens, someone can actually do this bait and switch. And, oh, look, I'm, I'm looking at a ring and I switch it out with a, with a fake ring. Does it change how you let people into the shop? Does it change how you deal with people at the counter? Is it is does it become does it become for you or the employees a situation of this isn't fun anymore? Well, it it definitely does cause a couple issues. The, the first issue is just because of our 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 large selection of jewelry. Obviously, you've seen it when you've been in there, and and our great prices. Customers usually want to see an entire tray of jewelry, pull out a tray of rings or something like that. Um, obviously, that's one of the reasons he was able to do this this sleight of hand because he had access to a whole tray of jewelry, could distract and and do his um, his criminal intent. Um, that being said, we we changed that policy to make it to where we're not taking out a tray of jewelry or, or having that exposure. Uh, and and sadly, it, it impacts our 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 bottom line to have, to have a loss like that. But we're really not going to change how we do business. Um, we're, we're just going to absorb. This loss, it's not going to affect, you know, our prices or anything of that nature. But, but we have instituted some some new security measures. Some are are visible in the store. Some aren't seen. That uh, will hopefully help uh, mitigate anything like this in the future. Bryce Curry, Premier Arms, PA Jewelers, there on Green Street in Brownsburg, Indiana. And Brownsburg is like, well, name your. And name your uh, suburb, right? Due west of Indianapolis, great place. And he's a sponsor of, of my shows, right? Uh, on on WIBC, my my Indianapolis based show, and and I use him all the time. I bought a, he the, the jewelry store, which came about because they were buying firearms from people, and then they were like, "Well, do you buy anything else?" And they're like, "Well, what else do you have?" And, and that's how the kind of the, the business built. Uh, my my I I've purchased watches from the man and jewelry uh other, other things love him love the group over there fantastic group of people you don't want this to happen to them but you don't want this to happen to anybody but this is happening all over that's the story that's what makes this such a a universal story i think he's going to be on a fox business see on this week uh with with maria bartiromo discussing this issue because this is happening everywhere Everywhere this is going on. I was on Fox News uh, this weekend. And it, it, it was weird because it was a quick segment and it wasn't like it, it was very odd because I was scheduled on. Right. I was scheduled to be on the, 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 the show. And then they're like, hey, uh, we took down this balloon where that's all we're talking about. All we're doing is balloon stuff. I'm like, yeah, sure. No problem. That happens. You get you got to roll with those punches. And then I'm smoking the cigar. Minding my own business, like nine thirty in the evening, I get a I get a call. Hey, uh, you uh, you around? I'm like, yeah, I happen to be at home. Not a problem. Happy to pop on. You know, I've got the whole home studio. It's it's easy as can be. So I, I get connected. It's myself and Joe Concha. 
I like Joe. I, I think Joe's a, a a smart cat, a bit verbose, but a smart cat. Uh, and uh, and they're like, okay, you, you guys will be on, and it's gonna be just a shorter segment. So just keep the answers tight. Well, Joe is not tight. <laughs> Joe Joe Concho is not tight at all. I would tell him it directly. Um, and so I I didn't have much time, but it was it was a conversation about what's going on in the country, right? What are the things that are really the focus in the country? And it started with, with uh, Lawrence Jones, right? He does a show cross country. Lawrence Jones, man on the street interview. What's the most important issue facing the country for you? Right now, you can uh, pick. the economy. economy. The economy. Lots of troubles here. Yeah. Yeah, everything expensive. We need to reduce the prices. The number one issue facing the country is the health care. Health care. I'd have to say health care. Health care. Health care, the economy. Health care. What's the most important thing facing the country? You pick. I don't even know, boss. Too many. Yeah, I think it's more of the economy than health care. But if you lead someone down the road of health care, maybe they'll tell you health care costs. Economic things. We get this. And part of the the conversation on these economic things is that people are, as as Bryce Curry of Premier Arms explained, people are going to some lengths to handle their daily things. And yes, they are going to the selling of of jewelry. Uh, you know, on their person, as he described it, that is what's happening. That is that is a serious serious thing that's going on. But there's a, there's a part two to this in terms of the the idea of collapse. And that's about our our faith in the institutions as a whole. Something you've heard me discuss. Well, well, well Joe Conch is bringing up this this polling from from I think it's Gallup and, and listen to this. Less than one in four Americans trust our commander in chief, Congress it gets better, is trusted by just 7% of Americans. So the easy takeaway here is that trust must be earned. And, and when we watch the way the Oval Office and Capitol Hill operates, it's hard to get the pom-poms out and say, hey, good job. The good news is that Americans continue to trust small business, 68%, and the military, 64%. You know- Those are the outliers, LJ. But overall, government is very, very scrutinized and looked at with a very curious eye right now because they don't think people, they don't think the people there have our self-interest in mind. Well, that's true. Part of the problem, part of the reason for unrest, certainly it's economic and you're having trouble making ends meet. Then there, you take a look at D.C. and you're like, these people are a bunch of incompetent boobs. And they are. They're a bunch of incompetent fools. And it creates... It creates... Um, uh, uh, the Yiddish, it'll be Cirrus. It creates tension. It creates in people... And unease. And that unease is very, very, very real. But in this conversation of trust, right, Joe was talking about it there, uh, Joe Concha from the Hill, on a macro level. When uh, Lawrence Jones was asking me the question, I kind of I kind of brought it back down. For the life of me, I don't understand. Is it because there wasn't a red wave that they feel empowered now? I just don't get it. Well, 
So I don't think that's it. I don't think the actual election results change anything for them. If you're ideological, you will always do what you always did because you believe your ideology is right. But to Joe's point, it's not just trust on the federal level. They've already abused the trust in, in uh, for example, the IRS and how it was used against the Tea Party years ago, how the FBI has abused trust. How about on the local level where we have prosecutors who don't prosecute crimes? Yeah. It's the idea that somehow there are rules for us, but not rules for them. Yeah. There's an onus put on us to do the right thing and to live almost a life of fear, but yet they're somehow able to act with impunity. That is the thing that has people concerned. That is the thing that is massively frustrating. And until that ends, really nothing gets better. And not only is that true about government institutions, that is true when we get back to this conversation about what happened at Premier Arms, PA Jewelers, uh, Bryce Curry's place in Brownsburg, Indiana. I'm happy to hear that the Brownsburg Police Department is actively working on this. But there are so many times we hear about these things happening and the answer is not even a slap on the wrist. It's a ah, victimless crime. They have insurance or some other nonsense from the from the pseudo intellectual social media side. And then you've got a prosecutor. "Ah, We're not going to we're not going to prosecute this crime. We're not going to engage. Uh, this 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 crime right here. We're not we're not gonna get ourselves involved with it. You know what? It's just best if we just just everybody move on. Incarceration isn't going to help anybody here. So there are these these trust factors that create unease in the society, and then there are people who create the unease in society, seeing this and they utilize it as an opportunity to create what more unease. So really, it's, it's, it's these two things, right? And, and it's absolutely true. I don't think there's, and no one has corrected me and, or, or brought a different argument. It is this feeling that there's um, two, two rules, right? Rules for us and rules for them. We have to do everything right. But they and the people they appoint don't have to worry about anything. The law-abiding citizen is always in the wrong based on how they defend themselves and what they do. But the criminal is kind of free to act to their own impetus uh, let's go out there and do the things man a waitress is selling jewelry to make ends meet because the tips aren't there because people aren't going out to eat as much because of the economic issues but somebody can walk into a cvs steal a few thousand dollars worth of lord only knows what and we don't even go after them that's the two rules conversation that's the 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 um the, the 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 butting of the heads, if you will, between what what people are feeling and what they're seeing, and 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 the anger that is, that is growing. And I I am there. I believe that there is a serious serious anger growing. And until you can get trust in the institutions, trust that they'll do the right things by the people, uh, this won't change, and this will eventually blow. Keep it here. I'm Tony Katz. It's IU 79, it's Purdue 74, and they're still celebrating in Bloomington. Tony Katz, good to be with you. Tony Katz today, JMV 93.5-1075, the fan in Indianapolis, the voice of Indiana sports. You watch this game, JMV, he joins us right now. You watch this game, what was your takeaway? What you saw was, at the beginning, Tony, you saw just an incredible defensive effort by IU. They were suffocating at the beginning of that game. And, Tony, that kind of set the tone, I thought, for at least the remainder of the first half when they got out 
to that big lead. But I think what you also saw, Tony, in that game was kind of a reversal of fortune. And we, we've been talking about this for a while with IU, with Trace Jackson Davis needing support, needing offensive help. And he got that, not just in the game, but certainly when they got out to that lead in the first half, he was getting that offensive support. But then you flip the script on it, Tony, and who did not get the offensive support? It was Zach Eady and Purdue. I mean, Zach Eady goes for incredible numbers and really got no offensive help whatsoever. And you combine that in the first half with the turnovers, the missed free throws. I thought Matt Painter talked it and really hit it right on the mark after the game. You look back at that first half, and that's really what helped lose them the game. It kind of got them too buried to dig up out of it. They were close in the second half. But, man, you're right about the atmosphere. The atmosphere, the rivalry, and it really sets the stage for a can't wait later on this month when the two teams meet again in West Lafayette. You take a look at the bench play uh, from uh, from these two teams, and you talk about getting that support, uh, 11, 14, 17 points off the bench uh, for uh, Purdue, and then you had uh, 15 points off the bench from IU. You need more than that from uh, these guys. Yeah, you do. I mean, you uh, you do. Uh, they just they need. You have two of the best players in the country in college basketball, and they need support. I mean, and it's not like these guys are going to be taken away. These guys are going to go out there and get theirs. But for these two teams to be at their best, and we have seen that with Purdue. That has not been an issue with Purdue. I think what ultimately Tony got Purdue was that first half with the turnovers and the missed free throws. That was so uncharacteristic of this Boilermaker team. Uh, Those are things they got figured out in the second half. But they both need certainly a higher level of offensive support they have the two best players going in the land right now i don't think there's any question about that but that support for both has to be there and if you're purdue i mean you just got to kind of forget about that first half to where you played again a very uncharacteristic brand of boilermaker basketball that we haven't seen all season long but you also have to give credit where credit is due and i thought iu they're starting defensively their start with that home crowd which was juiced up beyond belief I think that they put the Boilermakers in that first half position with their high level of play. And it's just, it, it's weird to watch a team that can lose to Maryland the way they did, then come out and play Purdue the way they did. I got to assume that there, that this is much more than whether or not, you know, where they're going to get seeded in the Big Ten tournament, how that's going to play out. Uh, this game on, on the 25th for Purdue is much more about vengeance than anything else, no? No, no, there, well, yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, the rivalry thing, I mean, when you think about it, IU got that win Saturday afternoon over Purdue and Bloomington, and then the women beat Purdue soundly yesterday up in West Lafayette. Very soundly. I mean, there's, yeah, there's all that back-and-forth tone that we got going on right now, too, and that's that's what makes it so special. And it's it's been few and far between, and mostly because IU has been few and far between in recent history. That was the first time in a while where we really saw the level of competition match the level of rivalry from both fan bases there. And it felt really good. I mean, honestly, it did. And it's not so much coming from an IU person or a Purdue person. It just felt good that the rivalry on both sides and high levels of play – 
also coincided with it. And frankly, it's been all Purdue here most recently, and IU's kind of jumping on board with it. So, yeah, once we get to the 25th in February at Mack Arena, it's probably going to be much different, but the rivalry is going to be the same. And for that, made Saturday so much more fun, Tony. It really did. JMV, I appreciate you taking the time to be with us. 93.5107.5 The Fan in Indianapolis. Check them out. More is coming up. This is Tony Katz today. about spy balloons from China or you're talking about the national debt whether you're talking about inflation or the jobs beating expectations but not necessarily telling the full story of the economy the state of the union has a tremendous amount of backdrop I mean last week this was boring run-of-the-mill Joe Biden hopefully remembering where he's going as he walks up to the podium now now this becomes a very large, interesting, fascinating story with how he's going to sell America on the idea that he still has his finger on the pulse. He's got control of these myriad of situations. And oh, by the way, if he's serious, that America should consider him in 2024. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, it's good to be with you. Senator J.D. Vance joins us right now from Ohio. He's got his new committee assignments, a freshman in uh, the Senate and having to deal with everything all at once. You've been an outspoken, uh, or you've engaged in outspoken conversations about the debt limit that I do want to get into uh, with you. But I, before we get into anything else, I want to start with this balloon, with this spy balloon being shot down off the coast of South Carolina. In your view, is this the right move? Well, I certainly think it was the right move to shoot it down. I think they probably should have shot it down before it traversed the entire continental United States, flying over multiple air bases, multiple nuclear stations. Uh, and I don't know why they, they didn't. I also worry a little bit that the way that they shot it down uh, may make it harder to recover because, obviously, you want to recover the debris so that we understand what the Chinese were actually doing. The other weird thing about this story that I think not enough people have picked up on is that for about 24 hours, the story became from the press, based entirely on anonymous sources from the Department of Defense, that this had happened during the Trump administration, too, and then it sort of turned out that actually that was not true, that these people were taking these anonymous sources and treating them as gospel. And so the media really is, is shown itself to be a farce here, uh, yet again. Um, but it's, it's pretty ridiculous that they immediately transitioned to blaming Donald Trump for something that didn't happen when he was in, was in office, that clearly happened during Joe Biden's term. And I, I, I just found that so bizarre. I mean, I understand the Biden administration blaming somebody else. I don't understand the media picking it up and running with it as if they're state propaganda. It, it seemed on that propaganda conversation, a conversation I've been having on my shows, it seemed, sir, a little bit worse that it wasn't so much the Biden administration via Corinne Jean-Pierre, the press secretary, putting this out. This was Secretary Lloyd Austin in the Defense Department putting this out. Have there been conversations amongst your peer set about whether or not this is something as, a, as an activity that can stand? Well, certainly uh, there have been some conversations between me and my peers about how, how unacceptable this is. And I, I think a lot of us just want some answers from the Biden administration. If you think of you know, our, our, one of our basic constitutional roles as oversight, the Biden administration has not been forthcoming about what's going on, why this happened, uh, why they allowed it to traverse the entire United States. I mean, there's just a lot of open stuff here. And I, I think it's pretty preposterous. I mean, given how preoccupied 
the country was, at least I know I was over the weekend with with what was going on. Uh, you would expect the president to at least come out and say, well, this is what's going on. The fact that they don't feel the need to provide answers is, is pretty revealing. Talking to Senator J.D. Vance of Ohio, uh, move it over into this debt limit conversation, which, of course, is going to be mentioned by President Biden at the State of the Union, as you've described it on Fox News, doing nothing about the debt ceiling is irresponsible, but what you've been told is that it's wrong to look at the debt limit and have a conversation about spending. The debt limit just has to be raised, otherwise you're un-American or whatever it is they decide to throw uh, at you. What is the argument that you make to Americans about why the debt limit, that debt ceiling, is the right time to talk about spending? Well, it's pretty straightforward. There's two arguments, I'd say. One is constitutional, the other is historical. So constitutionally, um, we have divided government in this country, and the Biden administration does not get to tell the Congress how to spend money. In fact, the Congress, especially the House of Representatives, is where the spending power really rests. And so it is necessary for us to have a conversation about putting the country back on, on a sustainable fiscal pathway before we raise the debt ceiling. If you think about this, any household, when they're thinking about how to pay their debts, they also talk about how they're going to bring money in, how they're going to cut where they need to. That's a natural conversation. It's something we need to have here. But, but, but also, if you look historically, very often when debt ceiling conversations have come up since the 1980s in this, in this country, we also have a conversation about how to put the country back on fiscal sanity pathway. And that's what the Biden administration is refusing. They're coming in saying we demand a clean debt ceiling negotiation. And my response to the Biden administration is, number one, that's not how it works. Number two, that's not how it's ever worked. We need to get the country's finances back on path. This is an important and useful time to do it. When we talk about the, the totality of the finances, sir, talking to Senator J.D. Vance of Ohio, are we talking about specifically a conversation of debt to China? Are we talking about the overall debt? Or are we having a conversation about we spend on specific things that provide us no value or really shouldn't be the purview of the federal government to begin with? If it's that last one. Have you uh, taken a look at or have you um, diagnosed, if you will, uh, programs that we have that we shouldn't spend money on anymore, specific Mm -hmm. examples? Because they always ask for the specific examples. Yeah, I mean, look, a lot of what the federal government does, especially if you divide the mandatory, which is Social Security and Medicare, from the discretionary, which is, you know, all of the COVID emergency spending we've been doing over the last couple of years, let me just throw a statistic out at you. So in 2019, uh, we spent as a federal government $4.4 trillion, a lot of money. In 2022, we took in $4.4 trillion. Again, a lot of money. But if we just got back to 2019 spending levels, we would have a balanced budget. Well, what's happened in the last few years is that we had this COVID emergency spending approach, which is still going on in some ways. And I think that we just need to get back to normal uh, at both as a country, we need to accept that the pandemic is, is whatever it is, and we're not going to control it anymore. But as a, as a federal government, we need to stop spending so much money that we don't have. And that's really, I, I think, the simple thing here. Uh, another way I, I guess I'd look at it is so much of the federal government has been weaponized against the citizens of the country. If you think of the leadership of the FBI going after parents, peacefully protesting at school board meetings, if you think of the EPA using climate change as, as, a, as a pretext to shut down lawful businesses and to harass people, if you think of the IRS going after people for their politics, 
we need to defund major parts of the federal government so that they can stop being weaponized against the American citizenry. And I think if you do those two things, defund the woke and weaponized government and also get back to a pre-COVID world, we actually come pretty close to a balanced budget, and that's what we should be focused on. It's your first month as a U.S. senator. You had a heck of a race against uh, the former congressman, uh, Tim Ryan. Uh, You dealt with a national press uh, coming at you hard and heavy, uh, firing from all sides. It's been uh, 30 days. Uh, On a level of one to, wow, this really is a swamp. How would you rate it? (laughs) Uh, Like a nine, I'd say. Really? It's definitely very swampy. Yeah, it's definitely very swampy in Washington, D.C., Hey, look, here, here, here's the basic problem. It, it, it's that a lot of people make a lot of money off the corruption of Washington. Uh, that's just the nature of the town. If you look at the wealthiest zip codes in America, a lot of them now are within a 20-mile drive of the U.S. Capitol. That, that's not a coincidence. And so the corruption's pretty much there for all to see. It's not a mystery. Uh, but, but we have to send better people to Washington, D.C. to make sure uh, that the corrupt people don't actually trump the will of the people. And I, I will say, as swampy as Washington can be, um, there, there are actual reasons for optimism. You know, I know you guys have Jim Banks running in Indiana. I've endorsed Jim Banks. He's a great guy. will make a great U.S. senator, I think, for the state of Indiana, but also for the whole country. Um, but but there are, more importantly, I think our people have woken up to how corrupt things are. And so there's this willingness to fight back from the grassroots that I haven't seen in my in my 38 years. And I, I think that's the foundation on which we can build something very special. You bring up uh, Jim Banks, congressman from the Indiana 3rd, running for a Senate. Uh, there was a conversation that former Governor Mitch Daniels was going to get into the race. He decides not to run. There was a conversation that Victoria Sparks from the uh, Indiana 5th, full disclosure, my member of Congress, was going to run. She announces she's retiring after this term, and she's finished. Uh, Jim Banks has uh, ostensibly cleared the field. You endorse, and then he clears the field. That's power, sir. But I think the, 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 <laughs> the, the, the bigger question is you get jim banks into the senate you're into the senate what actually changes what should people look for as the palpable change that a guy like yourself that you believe a guy like uh, congressman jim banks is going for well let me just highlight just a couple of, of big differences i think if you get a critical mass of of good conservative senators in in washington dc so number one at the end of last year, we had a major omnibus package move through. It's effectively a multi-thousand-page spending bill that nobody had read. Nobody really understood what was even in it. I think things like that are unlikely to pass if you just get a couple more good guys, and they're impossible to pass if you get 10 more good guys in the United States Senate. The second thing is over this debt ceiling increase. There are those like me who say, yes, of course, we're going to pay the debts of our country. We also need to stop spending way more money than we actually have in this country. Stop getting to a point where we have to raise the debt ceiling every nine months. Uh, That becomes a much easier conversation to have when your negotiating partners are not stabbing you in the back. And I think that's really the posture here. We're going to see what happens on this particular debt ceiling fight. I think there are enough good conservatives in the House that Kevin McCarthy, the speaker, has a good negotiating position. But, man, it would be awesome to have some, some more firepower in the Senate. Senator J.D. Vance, you can check out his site at Vance, V-A-N-C-E dot Senate dot gov, Vance dot Senate dot gov. Sir, I appreciate you taking the time to be with us. We've got more coming up. I'm Tony Katz.
don't get yourself too wrapped up. This sounds awful to say in the death count in Turkey because we're nowhere near knowing exactly how many lives were lost and how many people injured and the the amount of damage done. You just have no way of knowing. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, it's good to be with you. Uh, you take a look at the USGS, right, which is uh, the U.S. was a geological st- uh, what do they call themselves? It's the U.S. Geological something. And you you take a look at their at their site, and it'll show you the the the, the quakes. It'll show you the things that have been uh, taking place. The massive, not only uh, amount of of the quakes, but the size of them. So you take a look at that original one that set things in motion which was a 7.8. I actually went back. I'm like, what did the rest of the day? I didn't go back days. I just went back the rest of the day. Did it show anything? And the answer was no. The the quakes were, you know, Alaska, Puerto Rico. Uh, certainly there are quakes. There's movement happening all the time. And then all of a sudden, out of, out of nowhere, comes this this 7.8, this monster. Morbid happening in the Puerto Rico region. Boom, this monster. After that quake hit, it was a 5.6 aftershock, a 6.7 aftershock, a 5.6, a 5.1, a 4.8, a 5.5. One after another after another. Now, to give you an idea of how strong these things are. Just uh, for a bit of, of, of comparison, if you were to take a look at the Northridge quake, 1994, I was in college at the time, I had friends who, who were from that area. That was a 6.7, I believe. The, or the Northridge quake, which is in the San Fernando Valley, was a 6.7 in 1994. This was a 7.8. I cannot describe to you how strong this is. And then they're having aftershocks that reach the level of the Northridge quake that did billions of dollars in damage. If you want a nice little write-up about it, um, History Channel has a write-up of the Northridge quake. Like, that's how big it was. Uh, $20 billion worth of damage was the, was the Northridge quake. They had aftershocks in Turkey that were the size of the Northridge quake. So that's uh, just as a matter of perspective. And then the aftershocks keep coming in the high fours and in the low fives on the Richter scale. Then it starts moving just into the fours and then picks back up. These were big, big, big movers. And then you start getting to the 5.8s and it starts getting a little bit higher and it just hasn't stopped. This is, uh, it's, it's, it's incredible. Really incredible. So we don't know exactly how much damage has been done by this quake, but it, it, it's just to give it a bit of perspective, I, I thought was, was pretty important. Uh, equally as important is the perspective of this balloon to 
the State of the Union, which takes place tomorrow night, which is now a different speech. And if Joe Biden doesn't think it's a different speech, Joe Biden's out of his head. If you think you can sell America on the idea of everything is great, look at how many jobs, unemployment's down, gas prices are down from their peak, still up from when you're president, though. Jobs, uh, big jobs numbers this past month, yeah, still 5 million below where we were before COVID. Oh, by the way, you knew there was a balloon uh, from China, an, a, a spy balloon. You knew it where it was in the Aleutian Islands there in Alaska, that archipelago. The team did. And you weren't going to tell Americans about it, which I could have been from a national security perspective okay with. But you were willing to let it fly across the country, or at least your team was, and then you were told about it, and you said to shoot it down on Wednesday, and you got talked out of shooting down a spy balloon for fear that it was going to do damage over Montana. And so you let it travel the rest of the country, shooting it down off the coast of South Carolina. Then your team tries to say, well, you know, Trump had spy balloons. And the Trump team is like, no, we didn't. And it turns out there was no mention nor noticing of spy balloons. These are information that came ipso facto after the fact, after Trump was already out of office. But your team lied. The Defense Department lied through their damn teeth. And the story continues to get worse and worse for the Biden team. He's going to pretend not to talk about this in the State of the Union? Okay, sure. There's not enough bourbon and popcorn. Who knows what he thinks he's going to be able to tout tomorrow night. I'll have the full breakdown for you tomorrow, though. Don't you worry about that. Find everything, TonyCats.locals.com. Tomorrow, everyone, take care.